Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here, you will listen to the preaching pastors from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray that you are inspired by their teachings. Pastor, I would love to hear all of your athletic abilities. Last service, I, uh, I asked the person next to me, I said, well, what Olympic sport do you think I would compete in? And they said, uh, without missing a beat, uh, Pastor John, sumo wrestling. <laughs> Didn't know how to take that, folks. Didn't know how to take that, but uh, I took it optimistically. They thought I'd be competitive, at least, uh, be able to compete in that realm. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us today, whether in person or online. If you're joining us here for the first time. Welcome, my name is John and I'm one of the pastors here and it is my privilege to be sharing with you today in speaking uh, the Lord's word that he has for us as a church as we're in the middle of our series for the summer called The Seven Deadly Spirits. And I wanna tell you up front uh, that we are on the sixth letter that uh, is being written from John, the apostle, writing and recording the words of Jesus under his instruction to write to seven different cities throughout Asia Minor and present-day Turkey, Jesus tells him what to write to seven churches in seven different cities. And while we should be on letter six, we are actually going to pause and switch. We are going to look at the seventh letter today, and you'll look at the sixth letter next week. And you're saying, Pastor John, why is that happening? Well, the seventh letter, if you know anything about studying the book of Revelation, you find that the number seven often brings about even more trouble, more wrath, more difficulty. The seventh letter is the hardest. And so I was given the seventh letter (laughs) to preach from and uh, actually, because of some, some calendar dates and stuff, you'll learn the sixth letter next week and you'll feel a whole lot better. But I wanna tell you that the seventh letter is the worst. You will find in the first six letters that Jesus speaks a compliment to all of the first six churches. He, he admonishes them uh, in a positive way for something about the church, something they're doing, but he spent some time correcting them later on in his letter, and then you get to the seventh church, and Jesus has no compliments for this church. He does not do anything but rather bring critique, rebuke, and he has his harshest words for the final seventh church. And as I started to study this, I started to learn about the city that he was writing to. And as I started to learn about the city and then learn about the church, if I'm gonna be honest with you, this church was probably the most relatable to us here in our present time today. And so Jesus has some rather harsh words for this city and the church. And so the church that we're gonna look at today is the letter to the church in Laodicea. Everybody say that to the person next to you, Laodicea. Laodicea. Now let me tell you a little bit about the city here briefly. The city itself 
was a place you wanted to be known as associated with, and many people were proud to be from Laodicea. Laodicea was a city that had formed at the converging of three major trade routes. There were three major trade routes that brought from Europe, from the Middle East, and had met in this one specific location. And because the three trade routes had met in this location, they decided to build a city around it. And in the midst of that, all the trading that would make its way through, all of the world's goods seemed to pass through this city. This city became a place of great wealth of great prominence. People wanted to live there and be there because of the affluence of that region. It was almost like being a part of a big city where you could experience so much of the world in one place. This city was known for a few different things. Despite who ruled the city or ruled the world at that time, they were known for an incredible banking system that they had put together a system of banking that would transport or transfer different coins, different uh, empires' money, different types of wealth and well-being could be uh, dis distributed and was encouraged to be shared in Laodicea. On top of that, they had found the formula for two very important medicines in Laodicea, they had formed two different ointments. One was for the ears, one was for the eyes, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but it had become so prominent that they made a medical school exist in the town. And people would send from all over the world to get the ointments that were made in this city. This city was so proud of its affluency that actually uh, the story goes that there was an earthquake that hit the city, devastated the city, what we would consider now to be like a natural disaster. And the local leaders considered it like a state of an emergency. Like there was so much destruction because of this earthquake. Buildings were crumbled, toppled over. And at the time, the Romans ruled the city. And the Romans reached out to the leaders of Laodicea and said, hey, you are an important city your valued location, we want to help you rebuild. And Laodicea, because they were so proud, so affluent, so prominent, they looked to the larger Roman government and said, oh, don't worry about it, we don't want your money. We don't need your financial assistance here. We'll rebuild ourselves, we'll take care of ourselves. And that's one area where I didn't feel like maybe we really resonated, you know? I don't see today leaders being like, oh, government funding, please. No, you hold it. We don't need that here. We're fine. So there is a little difference there. But this is the prominence of this city. But they had as, as much as people desired to be from there, associated with this city, they had one major issue. Because it was in the middle of a three-way highway intersection out in the middle of the desert, they did not have water. This city did not have its own natural water source. But because it had the money to do so, it started funneling water from different directions. It would pipe it in through these water gutters for miles and miles. And it became one of the challenges of the city 
One of the things that was held against it was the fact that as it made its way through the Asia Minor sun, as it crossed over the rocks, the canals, funneling it to the city, it picked up all these different minerals and the taste of the water was tepid and lukewarm. It was often disflavored, so much so that history tells us that they didn't cook with the water because it would fill the house with a terrible, repulsive aroma. It would change the flavor of your vegetables. They had a real serious issue with their water, so people there, if they couldn't drink water, they often just drunk wine. And this is where we pick up in the letter in Jesus' words to the church in this city. We're gonna be in Revelation chapter three. Join me there, it'll come up on our screen. I'm gonna start in verse 15 where Jesus writes to the, the church, he says, I know all the things you do and that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, many of you have probably heard this before, and oftentimes I think when we hear this, we think that Jesus is referring to us being on fire for him or being completely disconnected. We see that fire often illustrates the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we think that he wants us to be hot, burning for him, and if we're cold, we're we're cold-hearted, we're separate, we're isolated on our own. And that's actually not what this is saying. Here's the, here's the real reality for this church is they live in a place where there's a water issue. The, on one side, there's a city called Hierapolis. This would be my wife's city. They're known for hot water. She enjoys, enjoys hot drinks. Any coffee drinkers in here? Yes. Everybody always wants to volunteer for the coffee ministry at church. Smells good there, doesn't it? Yeah, you got quiet real quick. <laughs> yeah, it tastes good. They were known, Hierapolis was known as a place for hot springs, a place where you could go and relax, recover. It was known as a place for their hot water. And it was known as a place that people would go for that experience. I would be on the other side. In the summertime, I would prefer a nice, cool, iced cup of lemonade. Now, on the other side of the city of Leopolis was Colossae. We find that the letter of the book of Colossians was written to the church in Colossae. Colossae was known as having pure, clean water that came from the melted snow caps above it. It filtered down, and they had nice, cold, refreshing water. I tell you, when I drive around town, I'm a sucker for lemonade stands. Do you see those popping up nowadays? You see them, I pull off to the side and I'm always mesmerized by a, a cute little sign made with crown and a smiling child right there. And apparently times are tough for lemonade stands because now they cost like $5 a cup and it used to be a quarter. But I'm just totally all in. I'm thinking, this is my summertime drink. And you pick up the cup, and the girl's like counting your dollars, make sure you didn't short her college fund. <laughs> and every time I get that cup, I look in, and I'm hoping that it's over-sugared like a good lemonade stand does. And I take a drink, 
and recognize that this young girl has been out here for hours. And what has happened to the flavor of that lemonade? It is now lukewarm, gross and repulsive, but because she's still smiling and she's got your money, you have to swallow and turn away, correct? And so I'll leave that cup right there for the next customer and just say, I lost five bucks, she got me again, and turn away. But the lemonade doesn't taste good when it's lukewarm, does it? And Jesus describes the church in Laodicea as one where he says, I wish you were at least on fire, full with passion. I wish you knew your identity and were refreshing to others to hear, but you're content being in the middle. You're lukewarm, and he says, you're repulsive. I would spit you out of my mouth. Jesus' message for the church is rather harsh, isn't it? And I find it interesting, as we've looked at the previous churches, these churches that dealt with some of the more terrible things in life. We've looked at churches who've dealt with corruption. We've looked at churches who've struggled with sins of sexual immorality, uh, the worst of the worst things. And Jesus says, above all of those things, all of those things, those churches that I recognize some good in them, but they had some challenges. The church that even existed in the dwelling spot of the enemy Satan himself, Jesus said, you church that are lukewarm, you whose faith is stagnant and stale, you who just show up on Sunday mornings and aren't moved to be a part of my movement, you who say you're a part of my church but have no investment, no involvement, you whose faith is stagnant, I find you the most repulsive of all. He says, I want no part with you. I rebuke you. I would separate myself from you. You're the worst of the worst. You who live in such a bountiful place, such an affluent status, you who are rich on earth are poor spiritually on the inside. Your outside wealth doesn't improve your inside status. The riches of the exterior of your life do not cover up the unhealthy spiritual life you have. Jesus tells this church that the lifestyle that you live is not worth the stomach pain that you possess. You think you can fill yourself with the best that this world has to offer, but if you don't fill yourself with me, you're never gonna be satisfied. He says, church, you make me sick. Look at verse 17. He starts describing them even more so. Verse 17, Jesus says, you say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And okay, Jesus, give us a break here. Hold on. Because I've often thought people who have the most in the world would never want to be described as those five things. He says, you're wretched, you're miserable. But then I want to focus in on the last three things. He calls out even more. He says that you are poor, blind, and naked. Look at verse 18. It says, so I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. 
also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed for your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. Jesus says, hey, church, buy from me. Buy into what I am offering. Jesus says, if you wanna be my people, if you wanna be my church, my followers, then there's a transaction that needs to take place. If I'm gonna be your Lord, if I'm gonna be the head of the church, if you're gonna be my bride, there's a transaction that needs to take place in this covenant marriage. Jesus is saying, if you wanna have the best that I can offer, if you wanna be satisfied, there's a transaction that needs to take place here. He's speaking the language of this city, the city that is known for being a trading center for the world, for the region, the leaders, and having the best of the best and pursuing more and more wealth. He says, if you want to be rich in my eyes, buy from me. I wonder if there's people in this room that have bought into Jesus, that have bought into the things that he has offered to you, or if you spend your time pursuing other avenues and other areas of fulfillment. I wonder if there's people in this room that Jesus would say, you're poor. You're naked, you're blind to what I have to offer. Jesus is speaking their language. He says that you should buy my gold. I went into my wallet and uh, I thought I'm gonna grab some currency. Gold is the currency of those people. That's what they would use to distribute. I was like, I'm gonna grab, some, you know, I'll grab a 20 or, or something like that and I reached in my wallet. It's a true pastor's wallet, I had two ones. That's a lot for some of us. It was more than I expected, actually. Jesus says, you spend a lot of time going after this currency. You spend a lot of time going after these government notes, giving the best hours of your day for this piece of paper. Jesus says, if you truly want something that'll last or sustain you, you should buy my gold. Now, if you study scripture, you know that any time there's a reference to gold, gold is a reference in the spiritual sense to having faith. There's a reason in 1 Peter chapter one that Peter starts to describe faith as being as valuable and more valuable than gold. There's a reason in the book of Job when he's going through trials and tribulations that he says, I've gotta go through these things so I can be purified, made as pure as pure gold. There's a reason that the transaction has to take place for your faith is what's valued in heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. And Jesus says, if you wanna buy gold, buy in. Have faith, obtain faith. Faith is what I value. Faith is the account that I measure. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, one after the other after the other was measured up accordance to the amount of faith that they possessed. Jesus says, hey, your bank accounts, your gold, it can be taken away. Your bank accounts can dwindle. Your 401k can crash. Your paycheck cannot come. Is anybody able to testify to that? 
the things of earth, the gold, the money that you pursue with so much of the best of your time, your life, the years in your life, the thing that you try to obtain so frequently in wealth can dwindle away. But if you have faith in the midst of the dwindling, in the midst of the numbers not being there when you check your bank account, in the midst of your wallet being empty, in the midst of the bills not being paid, if you have faith, it will sustain you in the midst of all things. The level of faith that you possess is what matters. Praise the Lord, he's speaking to three people today. It's the faith that keeps you standing. The money may not be there. The job may go away. The people may change in your life. Your faith won't. Your circle of influence may change in your life, but the Lord won't. The good times may come and go, but your faith can sustain you and keep you standing through it all. How's the level of faith in your life today? Do you value your faith as much as you value the next paycheck? Do you value the pursuit of the hours of investment into your faith as much as you pursue and invest into the amount of earthly possessions you obtain? How's your eternal account? Is it more important to you than your bank account, your retirement account, your college fund? Jesus says, you pursue the gold and you're poor. I will give you riches upon riches. Jesus calls them blind. There were two different types of ointments in the area. One was for the ears, and some scholars believe the ointment that they had come up with was most likely one that had healed uh, earaches. If you've ever had a teething child or if you've ever had an earache, you know how valuable that ointment would be. The other ointment was one for people who had terrible eyesight. It was apparently an ointment that helped droopy eyes and droopy vision, where people oftentimes lost the ability to see long distances or be able to focus on things that they would get this special ointment. And people from around the world desired it because it would literally restore their eyesight. It reminded me of how valuable hand sanitizer was to us. I had this on my keychain just a few years ago. We all had to have hand sanitizer. Like we greeted each other with, before we said hello was, hey, did you get a pump? Do you need a little drop? Where have you been, right? And how much we valued this ointment. They valued the ointment of, from Laodicea as a way of keeping themselves safe, as a way of protecting themselves. And Jesus says, you desire the healing that can come from your town, but the truth is you want to obtain eyesight and vision, but you're blind to the things of God. You're blind to the workings of God. You're blind to the movement of God. And you're blind, you're distracted in a city full of everything the world has to offer. You're looking around at the bright lights of the big city and you've lost your attention to focus on my word. And what I have to say to you, and you have spiritual blindness. Jesus calls out their desire for clothes, material items, Laodicea had actually cornered the market on black wool, black wool that was so soft, so comfortable that they had found it was the most prominent and desirable, the deepest shade of black that they could have. 
They had obtained this wool. It had infiltrated even the Jews in desiring it. As many Pharisees, they believed, had sought after the black garments of Laodicea. The Pharisees would wear them as a form of status, prominence. And the people would clothe themselves in this same black material. And I thought, boy, that's not much different today. On our most fancy events, on the most prominent of circumstances, and the times when we dress ourselves best are those black tie optional suit coats, when we have to look good, when we have to present ourselves. Even when we pass away, we put it on, don't we? As one final look of being well-dressed. And Jesus says, you can clothe yourself, church, in the darkest of colors, in the nicest of garments, but the darkest of black will not hide you from the depths of unrighteousness that you possess. It cannot keep me from seeing how distant you are from me. He said, I offer to clothe you in white. I wanna be the doctor that heals you. I wanna make you well. I don't want you to have to cover up your things in your life anymore. I want you to live free and be pure and blameless without fault. He says, if you're gonna be my bride, I want you to wear white. Jesus says, I don't want you to live a life covering up the things of who you are, but I want you to live free of those things, a pure life. Jesus has some harsh words for this church. Look at verse 19. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Jesus says, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm disciplining you because I love you. Grab your child, your teen next to you and say, I'm just being like Jesus. I discipline you because I care. Isn't it interesting though? Isn't it interesting to think about all the things that are wrong? Take a moment and be introspective for a second. All the things that you have done wrong in your life all the failures, all the mistakes in your life, all the things that have hardened you, the things that the world has identified you as coming up short, all of the ugly things in your life. Jesus is saying, you can't cover those up with clothes. I know what they are. And Jesus is aware of everything that you have ever done, every thought that you've possessed. And despite all of that, Jesus says, I really love you. He says, I know it all and I still desire to be in relationship with you. He says, I'm willing to look past it if you'll just commit to me, if you'll turn to me. What a love that is, isn't it? What a love that is outside of this world to say all of that can be set aside because you are more valuable than the descriptions of your past, the failures of your past, the things that you've been labeled as by this world, but you are valuable to me. And Jesus tells this church in a letter of warning, let's get ourselves right today. Look at verse 20 with me here. It'll come up on the screen. We're closing out. 
Closing out with this, it says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. I thought of this and it reminded me, Jesus isn't Kramer from Seinfeld, busted in, sliding through the door. Jesus isn't the unwanted mother-in-law and everybody who loves Raymond, showing up at the worst times. Jesus isn't the parent busting into your room, even when you said one minute. Hold on, I'll be there, give me a second. Jesus doesn't bust his way through the door. It says he stands at the door and knocks. There's a famous picture tied to this verse. Many of you have probably seen it, it's been redone over and over again. Time and time again, it's this picture of Jesus knocking at the door. And I looked at this picture and the story goes that when the original artist drew this picture, another artist critiqued him. He critiqued Jesus' depiction here of knocking at this door because he says, hey, there's no latch on the door. Jesus surely can't enter. And the original artist said that was the purpose. The latch is always locked on the inside of the door. It's up for the person on the inside to decide whether they're gonna open it. Some of you today have locked the door and put a barrier between you and Jesus. Some of you intentionally today have kept a distance from him. Some of you have not wanted to let him in. Oftentimes, I think we misread this scripture. We think that this is Jesus wanting to enter into an unbeliever's home or a place, a new heart. But that's not the case here. This letter is written to church people who are Jesus' followers. Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door, but he says, you don't answer because I knock. He says, you answer because what? You hear my voice. That means that you've spent time with him outside of that door, on the other side of that door. In public, you've spent time together. You've learned to know his voice in person in other places. Jesus has just finally shown up for a closer, more intimate meeting with you. Just like a date, right? When we go on our first date, we often meet a place at a certain time, but we don't often say for the first date, hey, come to my house because if we did, I don't have a safe place to go and retreat, correct? I don't have a safe place to go and hide if it doesn't go well. So we'll meet at a public place. We'll get to know each other a little bit. We'll have conversations and we'll get to understand each other a little bit more. But Jesus here says, hey, I'm a gentleman. I'll knock at the door. You'll hear my voice and you'll decide when to let me in. Will you stand with me this morning? Some of you today are members of a church where Jesus is knocking at your door. He's knocking at the door and you hear his voice. 
and for too long you've kept the door locked. You have been too proud. You've been too focused on maintaining the inside of building the wealth inside your door. You have wanted to do it yourself. Do you know what the deadly spirit is for the seventh church? The deadly spirit is the spirit of self-sufficiency. Doing it on your own. You've shown up here time and time again. You've sat there alone by yourself, but you've thought, I can handle this life on my own. I've had my challenges, but I don't need help. I'll figure it out. And Jesus has stayed at that door and knocked and said, I want to be there for you. I don't want you to go through this alone. I'm here. Hear my voice. I have the answers. I have the healing you need. I have the wealth you desire. I have the healing ointment. I want to clothe you in righteousness. I want to make things right in your life. And you just have never opened the door. Some of you need to respond in a new way today and allow Jesus into your life in a more close, intimate way. I'll be honest with you. Jesus isn't knocking at the front door for some of you. And this hit me this week that I had to share because my wife thinks that I work a lot of hours. Some of you, Jesus is knocking on your office door. He's knocking on your office door and saying, hey, you've been in here long enough. You've pursued the wealth of this world long enough. You've tried to sit in your work vehicle long enough because some of your offices are in your house. Some of it's a tractor in a field. Some of it's a work car. Some of you, Jesus says, you have given the best years of your life. You walked in here with hair, you're leaving bald. You walked in here fresh and clean and you've got wrinkles and stains. Some of you, Jesus is knocking at your office door and saying, when am I gonna get time with you? When are you gonna pursue me as much as you pursue the things and wealth of this earth? Some of you, Jesus is knocking at the door and it's not the front door of your house and it's not the office door. Some of you, Jesus is knocking on the garage door garage door is your place of comfort. It's where you go. For some of you, it's your isolation and place of solace. It's where you have your hobby. It's where you work on your own place. Maybe it's not a garage. Maybe it's another hobby. But Jesus says, you oftentimes make time for working on your truck, but you don't make time for me. You make time spending it in the garage away from your family and your friends, but you don't spend it with me. Jesus is knocking and he wants you to hear his voice. I wonder today if some of you would say, I need to give Jesus some time today. I need to hear his voice speak to me today. Maybe as this song plays, you can just silence yourself for a second and have a moment with a person that loves you and wants the best for you doesn't want anything from you. 
Isn't it interesting when it says that you let Jesus in the door, he doesn't walk in and start critiquing the room. He doesn't say, your life's a mess. This place needs organized. We've got a lot of work here to do. As scripture says, Jesus walks in and says, I want to be your friend. Can we sit down and share a meal? Let's just have a seat and talk. I don't wanna get into all of this yet. I just want your attention. Maybe some of you would feel more comfortable coming forward and giving Jesus your attention down here. Meet with Jesus today. I don't care what it looks like. Listen to his voice and be obedient to his calling. Sing nothing. 
within us nothing else will do but Jesus nothing else we will desire we will pursue and put in first place of our life but him some of you today may have said Pastor John I've never given my life to Jesus I've never asked him to be the Lord of my life we believe you can't do life alone your self sufficiency will not sustain you If that's you, I want to invite you to meet me down here up front. I've got a gift for you. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to meet you in person. If you're watching online, you can click I said yes or make a comment. We've got people standing by. Maybe you're new here to church and you say, hey, I need to pursue Christ a little bit more. You don't have to do that on your own. We've got avenues for you to experience Christ best. And we want to meet you in person at the rock wall in the lobby on the way out. We've got a t-shirt for you. We've got a Bible. We've got people standing there ready to help you along. Don't leave today until you have made the choice of what your next step is. And normally before we leave, we put our hands out like this to receive a blessing. But today I want to ask you to put your hands like this. Almost like a form of surrender, right? You put your hands up and you're gonna join me in a prayer where we say, Lord, I'm gonna give it up to you. I'm gonna give you back some time that I have kept from spending with you. I'm gonna give up some of my pursuits and passions so that I can align myself and my life with you. I don't wanna be lukewarm anymore. I don't wanna be a church that you despise. I want to be obedient today. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that there are people praying at the altars. We know there are people praying online, praying in their seats, God. They're desiring to hear from you today. So, Father, I pray that the words of your Son spoken in Revelation chapter 3, that you love us despite it all, that you discipline us because you care, 
Lord, that you will see the posture of our hands and surrender and obedience saying, God, we want to put you first. Will you extend your hand down and grab onto us right now and say that you want to be united with us as we go forward from this place and through this week. May you lead us, Father, as we pursue you. May we be obedient to give time, and Father, may the transaction of our heart be one that is pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord. We love you, church family. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.